Well, this morning we look together at Second Peter chapter 3. We've read through and preached the central themes of chapter 1 and 2. We come to chapter 3. This morning we'll read together the first 13 verses. People of God, glorious word, glorious promise of our God concerning the coming day of the Lord. People of God, hear the good news of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, uh, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, people of God, here is set before us uh, the great and central promise uh, concerning the coming day of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. It is set before us in a context that totally is contrary to that saying that someone may have said to you or you might know, Oh, those people, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. But the text before us says, declares, if you're not heavenly-minded, you will be no earthly good. 
It is heavenly mindedness in all of its ramifications, including the, the mind, being mindful of the second coming of Jesus Christ that will drive us, which will motivate us, which will encourage us, strengthen our hearts to continue in the work that God calls us to at this moment in time, whether we're 12 or 92. We must remember, we must reflect and meditate on this, this great promise of salvation. Jesus Christ will return. We cannot look at all of the great declarations in this passage in detail, and we will focus uh, on verses 1 through 4. And so the great declaration begins by this promise of the day of the Lord, the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is a promise that is clearly revealed in the Word. We, we saw that introduced in the book of Second Peter when, when the Word, uh, when it was declared to us that just as it's been revealed uh, that Christ was coming again in verse 16 of chapter 1, that we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration. So this is something that comes to the beloved, those who are loved by God. And it comes by apostolic and prophetic testimony, revelation, that which is given to us that God knows ahead of time, both because He knows all things and because when He makes a promise, He is able to accomplish that promise. And so He accomplishes what He promises and He knows it's going to happen. It is both because of His divine power and because of His divine omniscience, His all-knowingness, that He can declare to us what will happen in the future and we can be absolutely certain of it because God has said it. And He says it to those who are loved by God and loving one another. The beloved of one another. So the word beloved has both the context of loving God for His promises and loving one another out of the living out of those promises. And now the truth is written to us. I write to you this second epistle. Uh, the writings of, uh, of the Scripture, uh, the writings of the Bible are called Scripture because the word Scripture... Uh, literally has to do with the script, with that which is written down. And so we have the Word written. We have the Word given to apostolic and prophets. And then we have the Word that was given, uh, given in another way, and that is in writing. That is both unique and it is a great blessing. So we have the Bible. And it's given and it is written it is written to stir up our pure minds. I write 
to stir up your pure minds. So, if anyone's sleeping here, uh, this word stir up uh, means to awaken. It, it means to become not necessarily agitated, but certainly alert. Uh, to awaken from sleep, to arouse, to go from a state of calmness to a state of action. It is sometimes used to describe a raging sea being all stirred up. Are you going to be stirred up today? Do you want to be stirred up? Does the principle that Christ is going to come again, does it stir you up in any way? Or do you just sit quietly, calmly? No, I really don't want you to be up and start dancing in the, in, the, uh, uh, in the aisles here. That's not the kind of stirring up. But you ought to be stirred up. You ought to have an emotional response. An action, an action response whether of mind, or both of mind and heart and body, soul, strength, you ought to be stirred up by the truth of the Word of God. And it's describing those, stirring up those who are of pure minds. Once again, the emphasis here, uh, and then verse 2, that you may be mindful. Minds, mindful. A- at the end, uh, we have that theme, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, the teaching of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, the doctrines of the Bible, uh, the, the summarized in creeds and confessions, Put in your mind over and over again, those are critical matters for the Christian life. For how you're going to live on Thursday. Makes a difference on what you put in your mind today and every day in between. You must have a mind that is thinking in terms of God and in thinking in terms of His truth. I'm going to stir you up to focus on the truth of God. That you might be mindful of prophetic words. Mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Now, that's a a clear reference, especially where it declares the the prophets that are spoken before. There's a a couple of instances in the New Testament where the word prophet and apostle may come together and we're wondering if, and we're mindful that there were New Testament prophets. Uh, The apostles could be called prophets. But here it is very, very clear that this is the prophets who spoke before. This is about the Old Testament Scripture, the Old Testament revelation, which is also important for the church of Jesus Christ, as is pretty evidenced here. It's in parallel, once again, the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the holy prophets, and it's the words uh, uh, that they, they spoke, the words they wrote, And, of course, that reminds us 
of that great passage in 1 Peter 1 and 19, which we looked at just a, a couple of weeks ago or, or last week. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men of God, this is a general principle for all the things concerning God's holy word. And you need to be mindful of that prophetic word spoken in the Old Testament. That is not some book. uh, The books of the Old Testament are not simply to be discarded, but they're to be embraced. And then you're to be mindful of the command, commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The apostles are bringing the commandment of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's a rather unusual thing to describe the whole of uh, the the uh, the whole and the central aspect of the uh, apostolic teaching as a commandment. It it certainly embraces. You see, they have the words of the apostles and a commandment of the uh, the words of the the uh, Old Testament prophets and the commandment of the apostles. Well. One could be well reminded that the gospel is a gospel that has commandments that are tied to the gospel. Repent, believe, be baptized. Baptize the household. Teach, train. Look to Christ. Be mindful of the Scripture. Stir, be stirred up. These are all Commandments, but there's, but it's summarized simply by the word commandment, because in one sense it's all tied together and it's all linked together. So it may, it's a commandment has many aspects to it, but certainly central is to look to Jesus Christ, trust Him, trust his work believe that your sins are forgiven in Christ that his righteousness is imputed to you out of a heart that is pure because it's been uh, it's the result of being born again but note again the parallel structure between the words of the holy prophets and the commandment of the apostles Peter puts them side by side. As he does towards the end of the book in verse 16, when he talks 15 and 16, when he says about Paul, uh, our beloved brother Paul, uh, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them, uh, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, and as they do also to the rest of Scripture. Here's Peter testifying that Paul is an apostle that's right, whose writings are Scripture. The New Testament self-identifies as the Word of God. And so this is the Word that stirs us up, that awakens us, that is feeding us. 
And this is why pastors and elders and godly parents instruct and teach and train and say, be saturated in the Word of God. Hear the Word in the preaching of the Word. Morning and evening, these are opportunities to be saturated and filled with the Word of God. That Word that can be read in church, in your homes, in personal devotions, in family devotions, times of study when there may be some point of reflecting on the Word with another or with a book. You memorize the Word. You are to meditate upon the Word of God. Many years ago, I was given an illustration. It was called the hand illustration. And uh, the illustration had meditation was the thumb and the hearing and the studying and the memorizing and the reading of the Word where all, the, the thumb touches every single one. So meditating upon the Word of God is a critical matter of, that's connected to every way in which we receive and interact with the Word. We meditate. And meditation on the Word particular has to do with, with being mindful of it, putting in your mind, thinking about it, even applying the Word to the specific situation in which you find yourself at the moment. That's meditation, whether it's hearing or memorizing or praying the Word. That's a, it's in a, a very positive devotional experience to pray the Word of God. Did you note that in the congregational prayer, we prayed the Word of God this morning? It's not how I always pray, but it's certainly one aspect of prayer. And I would encourage it to be a fairly routine way in which the Word permeates your life and even your prayers. Some of the Psalms are very easy to do that with. We took the declaratives of the, the Beatitudes and turned them into the plaintive cry of God's people. But it covered the, the totality of life. And such praying the Word is a positive way in which we can be stirred up by the Word of God. And we sing the Word. The Psalms, particularly God's songbook, but I believe the Psalms are also a pattern of, of other godly hymns. Not just 333 ditties. used to be 711, but now seven words is almost too much to handle. So we have three words 33 times instead of 711. No, there's a depth to the, to the singing of the people of God. And so, as Colossians 3, uh, verse 16 would declare, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, that's not just talking about in church. That's talking about every day of our lives both in the heart and our mouth to our children. And so we focus and embrace the great promises of God by the Word of God and that promise of the second coming. 
Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of His coming? And nobody had to ask, His coming? Who's coming? What? Who's going to come? No, they know His coming is a clear declaration in the New Testament about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. The second coming of which chapter 2 has very clearly declared there is a reservation for ultimate judgment against all the ungodly, particularly ungodly teachers, particularly ungodly teachers who arise from within the church of Jesus Christ. And you have all those examples of how God in the Old Testament has already destroyed the ungodly. And then there is a declaration, be assured, He will destroy the ungodly. He will reserve them for punishment. The first stage of which happens at death. The second stage which happens at the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're reserved for judgment. And that's a clear theme of Second Peter chapter 2, was the second coming of Jesus Christ and the judgment that will accompany it. And what is the nature of people's response until that time? Scoffers will come. Scoffers. Mockers of the promise. A world that says... Everything has gone the same. It's all, it, everything has a, a, a smooth, it's all been in one line. There's nothing new. Nothing ever changes. And they'll come in the last days. In Scripture, the last days are the days between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. That's basically in the New Testament when you read last days. It doesn't mean, you know, ten days before the coming of Jesus, those last Ten days is when this will happen. No, last days is all the days between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. No longer, no matter how long that is, those are the last days. And you have the last days. And in that time period, what is one of the patterns that you will see in the context of false teachers and scoffers, particularly of the coming of Jesus Christ? They will be scoffers. They will say, is he going to come? Before we get to exactly what the scoffers looking at, let's look at the word coming of the day, the coming, the coming of Christ. When we think of the coming of Jesus Christ, we oftentimes think of the day. And that's even the title. You know, so it's the promise of the day of the Lord. I think I would have been better to entitle it the promise of the coming of the Lord. Because day, that focuses on a one-time event. And when we think of someone coming, that usually think, we usually think of that as a one-time event. But the word coming here is a word that, uh, that would refer to something like, oh, our, uh, you know, we've been away from our children and they're going to come to our house uh, for two weeks. They're going to come on vacation for two weeks. So the coming of the children to your home for two weeks, if you're a grandfather like me uh, or a father that has grown children, that, that coming is a reference both to the fact that they arrive and that they stay. 
They arrive and stay. And the word coming uh, actually can also be translated presence. The presence of the Lord. Now, we know he's already present, so I believe that's maybe one of the reasons they don't hardly ever translate this word as presence. But it, it focused both on the arrival and the stale, the staying, the, the arriving and the staying of Jesus. It's not just the moment or, the, or the, the second or that lightning flash when he appears. It's then when he comes, he stays, and he'll be with us forever. So when it's talking about the coming of the Lord, it's talking way more than just about the immediate day, the immediate second of his return. That whole change. And then you can see why the scoffers then say something about, oh, everything's the same. And you're saying, Jesus is going to come again. Well, that would be a big change because one of the things that will be involved is, is what is described for us at the end of our Scripture, which we, we look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hey, if something's going to be different, it's going to be way different. When Jesus comes, it's going to be way different. And the scoffer says, nothing's ever going to be different. Everything's always been the same. It always will be the same. Nothing changes. Well, that's all a lie too, isn't it? If you are very conscious of taking apart the false teachings of false teachers, sometimes the immediate response isn't always what is, is the only thing that's pertinent. Because the fact is, is that things have not been the same. And they're not the same today. There are big differences, and, and God in His wisdom shows Peter, and he just says, well, there's one thing. Number one, uh, things were not always the same. From the first day of creation to the last day of creation, things changed. Well, things change. Things change a lot. Oh, and guess what? We'll also make a reference to the flood. Things changed at the flood. You thought everything was the same. Everything's going along. It's all the same. And the flood comes. And all the people that were at the flood, whether it was Noah and his family or whether it was the multitudes that were being drowned, it's pretty obvious that they're going, something's different. Something changed. And these are people who are supposedly making an impact within the context of the church of Jesus Christ. And what just happened? Jesus Christ just came. And there were big changes there. They're saying nothing has ever changed. Jesus comes. Jesus lives. Jesus dies. Jesus rises. He ascends into heaven. Nothing changes. Can you imagine making that kind of an argument and thinking people are actually going to take you serious? But they did. Why would they? It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense at all, does it? The incarnation, birth, life, death, transfiguration, resurrection, and ascension made a huge change in the life of God's people. 
It broke down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. It went from a church that was supposed to be a magnet that attracts the people outside to being a, a people of God who go out. It went from a theophany, a nation ruled by God, to an ecclesiology, a church that exists. It went from a geographical location to a worldwide location. It changed. It went from God ruling on the throne to God ruling on the throne with His Son seated at His right hand as the incarnate Christ, as Christ or as the incarnate Son, as the, the true man, Christ, ruling at His right hand. It went from a mediator who was anticipating the foundation of mediation, which is the blood of Christ, to the blood already have been shed. It went from the presence of the Spirit to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It went from the people of God being members of the covenant community to every believer being a prophet, priest, and king in Christ. These are huge changes at the coming of Jesus Christ. Simply a lie that nothing ever changed. And so, people of God, we have the glorious truth set before us. The truth that declares we have a day coming in which things will change again. It will change again. And what ought to be our response to this great promise? The heavens and the earth are preserved for the judgment of God, but they're also being preserved for the salvation of our God. Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, verse 14, Beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent, be stirred up, to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. Be in the present to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, stir us up, keep our minds sharp, Help us not to be thinking of it's the same old thing, but be mindful that we live in a glorious age. And there's even greater glory to come. And so we may we be ever more faithful. And may we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in His name. Amen.